action. Welcome to Torn Stubs with me, Robert Gershenson, photographer and big old film fan. And Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we went to the movies a hell of a lot over the past decade. We're going to run down our top films of each year from 2010 right through to 2019. Joshua, let's get started. What is your top film of 2010? Right, so this is tough. (laughs) <laughs> it really was tough to to boil down. Yeah. 2010 now, is was a really strong year, actually. I'm just talking about year on year. It was quite yeah. tough to boil down. What was my top film that I think yeah. deserves to be the top for each year? I know. It's really, really tough. Like 2020 had, 2020, 2010 had so many great films. But okay, so my top two were both directed by British directors. You can't have two. It's only one. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to single it down. Okay. They're both comic book films. Okay. I think I know which one of them is. Set in America, but they're British directors. Um, so it was between Kick-Ass and Scott Pilgrim. Ah, Scott Pilgrim. Yes, I and remember that. I think I'm going to have to go with Scott Pilgrim because mm-hmm. I was obsessed. I read all the books before the film came out. You bought them for me. <clears throat> Did I? Yeah, oh, for your yeah, birthday yeah. or for Christmas? Uh, it was one I can't I think it might have been the birthday yeah yeah I was completely obsessed and I think it's because they just captured that moment those years after university where you were just kind of drifting around the wasteland years you haven't got a career yeah you don't really know who you are you don't really know how to be a grown up (laughs) and Scott Pilgrim was yeah and the film was such a great version of the comic book series um, you know, it was weird and funny and visually different. It had such a great energy to it. Edgar Wright coming from space, it had, you know, had that very zany, quick cuts, yeah. um, very fast paced, great music, loved the music and just thought it was fucking hilarious. But it was um, great to see Edgar Wright not doing something that relied on Simon Pegg being there. Yeah, exactly. Which is perfectly fine because... Um, I mean, I prefer Hot Fuzz over Shaun of the Dead because I'm not a mm. big zombie fan and I've only seen bits of space. But it was getting to the point where Simon Pegg was able to go off and do things on his own, but was Edgar right? And I, I agree. I, I really do like Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Mm. It's really fun. And it, it's like, I don't know, it's just really good natured and fun. It, it's idiosyncratic. You know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um I don't know. I think people seem to have kind of forgotten about it a little but bit. But it didn't do very well, did it? And then he no. disappeared for a while because he was tied up with Ant-Man bullshit and yeah. then re-emerged with Baby Driver, which mm. I put on that the year that it came out. I put on my um, Worst. my bottom list. I'm really not a fan of Baby Driver. And I just, I really, no. well, he's just, doesn't he, next year he's got Last Night in Soho coming out, which is... I don't know what he's got, actually. Last Night in Soho. What's that about? I don't really know. <laughs> I know where it's set. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I'm really hoping that's going to be a return to form because like, it's been 10 years now, now since... Um, yeah. Well, one, you know, next year will be 10 years since Scott Pilgrim. So it's like, well, this what is, have you got uh, to show for that decade? This is New Year's Day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Happy New Year. Happy, New Year. Happy 2020. Mine is a English language French film called Rubber. Okay. Directed by Quentin Dupieux. Dupieux? I can't, I don't know how to spell it. (laughs) D-U-P-I-E-U-X. Dupieux? Dupieux. Dupieux. Where you've got this tire called Robert who comes to life um, and realises it has psychokinetic power so it can kill people. (laughs) And it's, it's, it's part satire, part surrealist, absurdist, comedy drama where you end up empathizing with the tire <laughs> in the film you have a group of people who are watching so you have an in or an inbuilt audience in the film watching in the desert as this rubber tire goes on an adventure uh-huh. it's it's right <clears throat> up my street i haven't seen it in a while but that is definitely 100% my, my film of 2010. Wow. You've seen it. I've seen it. Yeah, I saw it a while ago. It's really funny. And the reason I watched it is because I was at Sundance in 2012. And Quentin uh, Dupier, he had Wrong there as well, which I don't think ever actually got a proper release. Oh. 
Um, but Rong is really funny. Um, it's like trying this guy trying to track down his dog who's gone missing. And it's just like a series of weird encounters. And there's a hilarious, hilarious moment where they find a dog poo. They use the memory of the dog poo to trace back to <laughs> where the it dog. Came from. Yeah, it's really funny. <laughs> it's weird as hell. Um, but I like that. I like I like absurdist yeah, films. I like yeah. clever little things like that. And he did the Mr. Oizo advert, you know, that weird little yellow puppet thing, Mr. Oizo. I've forgotten what it was actually for. Flat Eric? Oh, Flat B. Yeah, yeah, Flat Eric. Yeah, he yeah. did that? He did that as well, so. Right, okay. Yeah, he's got serious skills. Serious skills. But, but he's a musician as well, so he's just got it all, you know. Talented bastard. I know. So 2010 was a, was a good year for, for genre. Yeah, it was. Great genre, yeah. How to Train Your Dragon, Black Swan, Shutter Island, Inception. Yeah, yeah, it was a really great year, actually. It feels like freaking ages ago. Well, it is. It's 10 years. Yeah. Grown so much since then. 2011. What's your film of 2011? So this is... It was so, so difficult with this one because I think I kind of had to go with the one that I've watched the most. So I would have said we need to talk about Kevin because I think that is an absolute exceptional film. Which we've covered on the podcast. Which we have covered on the podcast. So go listen to that episode because we deconstruct the hell out of it. Yeah. Um, And it's a really fantastic, weird, troubling, upsetting film. Um, But I had to end up going with Bridesmaids. Oh, Paul Feig. Exactly, Paul Feig. Arguably his best film. The Hack. Well, Paul Feig, The Hack. He's just... Feig. But he's just kind of invisible because it's all about the cast yes. and their ability to improvise. And they're really, really funny. Mm-hmm. And they all created those characters pretty much on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, Kristen Wiig is just brilliant. You know, we've all felt like that completely untethered 20-something where, so you know, your best friend's life seems to be fantastic. And you're getting slowly pushed out because they're, you know, they've got their own shit going on. Um, and so Annie's kind of descent into absolute mania i think is just hilarious and i I just find it funny every time um so yeah paul feige's best film and my favorite film of 2011 was that his first film as director no he did some weird i this film called i am david in 2003 with like thingy cavazil cavazil that guy um he just basically has been in tv like he just he Mm. cut his teeth on like arrested development freaks and geeks as we said in the last episode um Nurse Jackie, which is fantastic. The Office. Um, so, yeah, Bridesmaids was, was like his, his re-entry into film. So it doesn't um, surprise me that he doesn't have a visual style because no, he's TV, come from TV where right, he's, not, he's not been able to implement a, a visual style. It's just do what the framework tells you to do, point yeah. the camera in the right direction, let the actors do their job. And he just kind of does that. And that's... The same in The Heat, which was a few years later. Then he did it in Spy as well, a few years after that. Ghostbusters is just weird. It's weirdly flat because it doesn't have that style. um, And yet it needs it. Mm. Um, But yeah, Bridesmaids, brilliant. Flipping on its head, my film is all style. Mm -hmm. Substance is there, but it is a, a brilliant piece of stylistic filmmaking my 2011 film is drive by nicholas winding oh yeah i'm glad you chose that one this this really hit me hard when i saw it in the cinema Mm. it's just one of those films it's definitely in my top five you know we all have this revolving top five of our favorite films and it's always in there Mm. it's it's a brilliant brilliant piece of stylistic storytelling told from a filmmaker who has such a clear, unfiltered vision. He, he's very much a artist who just happens to choose film as the medium in which he's going to express himself. Yeah. It's brutal. Well, it's, it's saturated in style. It's got an amazing soundtrack. It's got that jacket with the scorpion on the back. Yes. The lighting. It's unforgiving in its violence. You know, it just really goes to the, you know, the limit he can. Yeah. Um, I don't actually have huge memory of what happens because I haven't really seen it since it came out, but I remember the visuals clearly. So it's about a guy who obviously drives um, as a stunt driver in films, but Mm. at night he's a getaway driver for burglars and he meets this girl who's living a couple of apartments away from him in the hall 
and they kind of hit it off but her husband is coming back from prison played by oscar isaacs Mm. he then gets involved in him in a criminal professional sense it has whispers of the shocking sudden violence in you find in david lynch movies Mm. mixed with the sort of neo-noir um yeah expressionist of Blade Runner mm. without being a futuristic sci-fi. Yeah. It is I think I think it is one of those staples where it, it, it's a cultural linchpin. Mm. You know, people will will reference back to it sometimes not even realizing what they're referencing because it's so ingrained. It is a I think it's a really special movie mm. it's the film that baby driver really wanted to be yes you know it wanted to be a teen version of that didn't it? <clears throat> yeah the problem with baby driver was it was it was so based on all those 70s exploitation gritty hard films and it just presented itself as a slick car commercial yeah it really did 2012 okay right my favorite film in 2012 was the impossible Directed by J.A. Ah, Bayon. Oh, yeah. Baby Tom Holland. Baby Tom Holland. And just a phenomenally well-told story. Like, mm. gripping, so tense, so bleak, um, but also kind of heartwarming as well. Like, it's a family drama, but like the most gripping, upsetting family drama you could think you could so ever it, see. It tells the tale of a family split up mm. because of the 2004 tsunami. Yeah. And their efforts to find each other in devastated underdeveloped part of the world yeah where they're just unequipped to deal with any of this you know what's happened mm. um they're injured like naomi watts is the back of her calf is oh, just so it's a thigh isn't it is it just ripped apart oh it's grim like mangled oh. we spoke about it on this episode last year did we yeah because we both put um that new jurassic park film uh, on one of worst. our lists what was it called Fallen Kingdom. Fallen Kingdom, Terrible. yeah, because he went on to direct that. Which is such a shame because he's clearly able to do so much more yeah. than this kind of studio nonsense. Yeah. And he tried with Jurassic Park, mm. sorry, Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom. He really tried to bring his own thing to it, but he was just completely suffocated by the studio model. Did he do anything in between The Impossible and uh, Jurassic Park? Yeah, he did. Um, A Monster Calls, the book adaptation. Oh, yeah, with the big tree um, or something. With Liam Neeson voicing a big tree. It's like a fairy tale thing, but it's, it's about a boy losing his mother. And yes. um, the book is really fucking sad. So I've not seen the film. But um, he's moving. He's doing the Lord of the Rings TV show, series now. So oh. he's kind of he's survived. Where the money is. survived <laughs> he's going world. where the money's going. Yeah, well, um, he's yes, I, I really I did enjoy The Impossible. I only watched it maybe 18 months ago. I was completely blown away by how amazing Tom Holland is mm-hmm. and once he's finished with Spider-Man I think he's going to go on to do such phenomenal work I didn't see the recent electricity film that he did mm. where he was playing Edison and someone else was playing Nikolai um, Tesla oh. um, I think it was called The Current War or something oh god no I was it The Current that. War yeah, something about light Benedict bulbs Cumberbatch. yeah it looked yeah. terrible but I think he could be than the British Leonardo DiCaprio because the the, the depths mm. and the the range of emotion he was showing in this film, The Impossible, is phenomenal. Yeah, he's great. My 2012 is Skyfall, directed by Sam Mendes. Ah, I almost went with that. It's really good, isn't it? It is. For, it's one of the best James Bond films. It, it, yeah. it deconstructs the mythos in a really interesting way. And for once... It doesn't really take us to that many far-flung exotic locations. Mm. It really makes a point of showing London, England and Scotland in such a such beautiful, detailed visuals by Roger Deakin mm. that it's not just a brilliant James Bond film. It is a brilliant, brilliant film. Just a great thriller. Yeah, I, I'm not a huge Bond fan, but I really love Skyfall. And mm. it's the only one that I would really choose to watch if someone was like, oh, do you want to watch a Bond? I'd be like, yeah, watch Skyfall. I don't think it's the best Bond film. Uh-huh. I think that goes to Casino Royale. Two but that's just prior. so bleak and so dour. That's I what I love about it. It's not fun to watch. Oh, I, I love Casino Royale. I think it mm. is great fun. Okay. But Skyfall, 
brilliant right up there i could definitely skyfall is definitely one of those bond films i can put on and it doesn't matter where i find it i could just pick it up and watch it yeah yeah it's great fun yes it's got stake it's got high stakes it's got emotion to it it's got great set pieces. It's just uh, a shame great that they villain. returned. The villain, the villain's great. Yes, the, the, um, the villain is brilliant. It's just a shame that they returned with Spectre, which was oh. just one of the worst Bond films ever, ever made since what? Moonraker. It was, it was pointless. Just unmemorable. To, but it tried to marry too much. It tried to have the sort of postmodern Daniel Craig era mixed with the sort of zany Roger Moore over-the-top era. Mm. It just did not work. Pick a side, guys. Pick a side. Yeah. 2013, the year I turned 30. Cool. Me, you turned me 30. Too. Wow. Hashtag me too. Yeah. Um, well, the film that I watched the most, I had to give it a shout out because I think it's such a, an underrated and people don't seem to know much about it. There's a great film called The Way, Way Back, which has, I've completely forgotten the name of the young actor, but it's about a teenage boy who has to go away with his family for summer his stepdad is Steve Carell in a rare role where he's a bad guy. Uh-huh. Um, his mum is Tony Collette. And um, this kid escapes to a water park, which is owned by Sam Rockwell. And it's just a really joyful summer I film. have seen this. The, I the, really love it. The poster had him wearing glasses yes. with Wei Wei. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, I have seen it. I do remember it being really quite sweet. Yeah, it's really lovely. It's like a summer film, but not like a blockbuster. Yeah. It's like, We've all experienced that. We've had a summer where we meet someone, we're friends with them, and that's mm. it. It's just a summer friendship. Yeah. So it, And it's like that, it's in that space between being a mainstream film and an indie film. So yeah. it doesn't pander to, you know, the, the blockbuster of mainstream audiences. It does have a bit of grit to it. But that's not my favorite film of 2013. Oh. Uh, my favorite is The Wolf of Wall Street. Ah. Which was Scorsese's big comeback essentially was it a comeback i don't think he's ever gone away well because he kind of meant it went into that he did hugo um and he was just trying different things yeah but this felt like the most scorsese he had been yes. in a long time well he could do this sort of film with his eyes closed can't he yeah and this he, was as close um, to goodfellas right as 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 he's ever been since goodfellas yeah. and he just has that very particular way of making a film um that it makes you feel safe it makes you feel um like your it's quality you know it just has that stamp of quality that yeah. he has um and he's he's kind of even if he does really hilarious stuff like uh what's his face on the quaaludes trying to get into the car <laughs> yeah. it's out it's absolutely like hangover style hilarious but mm. the tone never falls apart it mm. still has that very controlled scorsese tone um which is just Brilliant. Mine is 12 Years a Slave, Steve McQueen. Oh, I still haven't seen it because I'm just not ready to feel that bad about myself. I, in, in, a, in a way, it's a very hopeful okay. film. I mean, it's horrendous what the, the guy went through. Yeah. Uh, kidnapped, sold into slavery for 12 years. Yeah. Um, and his efforts to escape. Mm. Um, it's very much a character piece with that storyline. Okay. It's it's very shocking, but it's made in such a non-exploitative and non-sensational way mm. by Turner Prize winning artist Steve McQueen. Yeah. If you compare that to the other slave film that came out that year, Django Unchained, <laughs> this is clearly the more considered mm. and thought out, realistic film. Um not that we should necessarily be comparing, but you can't help but think this one got it. Mm. This one got it. Different intentions. Spot on. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Shocking, yes. Oddly, obviously enjoyable because it's a film. It's a very enjoyable experience, but it's a satisfying experience as well. Mm. 2014. Cool. 2014. God, we're plowing oh, through. See, this was... Ugh. I have to go with Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, Live, Die, Repeat. Live, Die, Repeat. <laughs> Whatever the hell that film is called. Whatever I, they want to call it. Written I, by uh, Christopher McQuarrie, directed oh, yes. by Doug Lyman. Doug Lyman, starring Tom Cruise. Tom, Thomas of Cruise. Thomas of and the Cruise. Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt. Yeah. Um, and I rewatched it about a year ago and I actually had, I'd forgotten how brilliant it actually is. Oh, it's phenomenal. Um, and I, you know, I went to see it when it first came out thinking, yeah, you and I saw it. Did we? Yeah. We saw a screening of it ah. at the Odeon, Odeon Leicester yeah. Square. 
And I was just like, here we go again. Tom Cruise has to be the hero. He's got <laughs> such a hero complex. He has to be the guy who saves the world, blah, blah, blah. And then it's actually not that at all. He's, you know, this is the closest he had come to being an anti-hero. He's a fucking coward. He's a coward and he's, he's yeah. hilarious. And he's... She's the one. She's the hero. She's, and she's the brilliant. toughie. Yeah, and she yeah. hadn't really done anything like this. No, she'd been doing the girly roles like... Well, she'd done Looper a few years before, but that still wasn't... Yeah. No, that was, no, that was only the year before. Was it? Yeah, 2013 was Looper. Ah. So she was she was moving in that direction. Yes. Um, and she's great in it. She's really tough. And um, she's someone you want to have around if the aliens are raining. <laughs> but what, what's more is it's not your standard CGI. No. Fair. There's a, there's a reason that those uh, robots need to be in that, that certain mm. way. So the CGI helps to enhance it. Yeah. I didn't feel like the CGI was getting in the way. And it was quite a, a run-down, shoddy world that they had built. Yeah. And they've been trying to make a sequel for years, and I really hope they never do, because I just want this film to be as good as it is on its own. Yeah. Just leave it. Just leave it alone. Whatever it's called. Edge of Tomorrow, Lift RFE. <laughs> uh, my 2014 is Nightcrawler, Dan Gilroy's oh, yeah. film that we mentioned in the last episode. It was the one he did just before. We saw it that together as well, didn't we? Mm, I can't remember. I feel like we did. Maybe. Mm. But it's the one he did just before Velvet Buzzsaw, and it's Jake Gyllenhaal's best performance. Yeah. It is a, like I said, it is a searing indictment of how media will portray a story for ratings. Mm. Everyone is on top form. Rene. Rene. Yeah. Jake. It's, and it just proves that the Academy have no idea what they're talking about because they didn't even nominate him. Ridiculous. Didn't even nominate him. And that's a... That's one of those performances where people will remember it. It will mm. be one of those where eventually it will get the plaudits that it, it fucking deserved. Yeah, like when Jake Jillian Hall eventually dies in, you know, a long, long time, mm. it's going to be Nightcrawler. It's going to be Brokeback Mountain and Nightcrawler, I think. Because that, you know, he's so great in Nightcrawler. Brilliant film. 2015. 2015. We're halfway through. Yeah, this is one of the most uh, brilliantly executed films I've ever seen. And it is Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, wow. It's unbelievable. Is that really five years ago? Yeah, it's it's so great. It, you know, it took George Miller years and years and years to get this film made. Oh. I'd seen Mad Max, the first one, and it's very, very different to what the franchise became. Mm-hmm. It's such a lean, gritty, mean and dark film. And then the sequels became these really kind of operatic, um, dust bucket kind of futuristic sci-fis, basically. And um, Mad Max Fury Road is just like, it's unlike anything I've I've ever seen, really. It's, you know, it's called Mad Max. It's not actually about Max. It has has the balls to be about Furiosa Charlize Theron, who is... What's her full name? Oh, I can't remember now. Furiosa... Maximosa. Navarosa. (laughs) Imper, imp, oh. Imperator Furiosa. Yeah, yeah. And she's brilliant. She's, you know, the film is big on spectacle. The score is absolutely amazing. The visuals are unforgettable. And then the emotion of it, you know, the, the, the moments where, you know, the women are being protected, but then they're protecting themselves. Mm. There's a community of women out in the wilderness. And when... Furiosa learns. I think she learns her mother has died, or well, she she learned that the green pastures. Oh, right. That she was aiming for. Yeah. Is and her and her parents and her her, her mother and her sister are dead, but the green pastures are gone mm. because the desert is just claiming everything. Yeah. So, like Lawrence of Arabia, they turn around, go back, and they fuck shit up. Yeah. I just love the fact that it's a. For all intents and purposes, such a masculine film, and yet it has such a strong core of feminism to it. You know, it's about the strength that these women find amidst the fucking nonsense chaos created by all these power crazy men. Yes. I just love that message in the film. It's so strong, it's so empowering. It's very relevant. Yeah, it really very is. Very relevant. Yeah. And what's more, it shows how CGI should be used. Mm. They went into the desert, they did a lot of those stunts for real and then enhance them with cgi yeah you know there was there's real there's a real weight and a real aesthetic to those stunts because they're real those poles flinging around the poles flipping around the cars flipping yeah it's it's got a it's 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 
it's got a real real world aspect and feeling to it and it yeah. can only it can only be a, a positive in a film like that yeah it's like a modern day ben-hur a hundred percent yeah my choice for 2015 is yorgos lanthimos the lobster of course it is i still haven't seen that still haven't seen it no. it's an absurdist comedy um drama black black comedy black drama about a sort of a dystopian world where being single is very much looked down upon. If you find yourself single, you're shipped off to a sort of a bed and breakfast retreat in the middle of nowhere, like some coastal town, um, where you are trained and you are encouraged to find a partner. If you haven't found a partner within, I think it's a month, then you are turned into an animal of your choosing. <laughs> and it just so happens that Colin Farrell has decided, his character has decided he'll be turned into a lobster. So the film is about him. He's her lobster. He's her lobster. Um, it's about him and his, um, well, we, we see him trying to find a mate. Um, and the film is split into two halves. The first half is at the B&B and the second half is elsewhere. But it, the film is a it's a sci-fi and it's a um, an, an, a investigation into how we as modern audiences as as modern culture how we view people who have relationships or how we view people who are not in a relationship or how we view ourselves when we're in a relationship <laughs> and the kind of bollocks that we talk <laughs> it it is it works on so many so many wonderful levels mm. it's narrated by Rachel Vice. Olivia Coleman is in it. Um, I can't remember her name, but it's the girl from The End of the Fucking World. Oh, yeah. Alyssa. Yeah. She's in it. Who's played um, a teenager for about 15 years. And she will carry on because <laughs> she is brilliant. Um, John C. Riley is in it and Ben Wishaw. Mm. Wishaw? Wishaw, yeah. Wishaw. He's in it. Mm. It is, it, again, it's it, like when I saw Drive, this for me in terms of my love of film, is a pin. Mm. Every five years, something happens and boom, there's another great film that is in my top five. It is a brilliant, brilliant piece of satire. Okay. It has no weaknesses to it. Mm. I absolutely love it. 2016. 2016. I'm really struggling with this one because I loved logan so much and i it's such a great repeat watch because it's have you seen logan noir where they no i really want to yeah i saw that on the big screen <sighs> mad max had a noir as well oh yeah it did didn't there's that weird period of a couple of years where they were like let's make it black and white yeah just two films um, <laughs> logan fantastic really love it but yeah. well, oh you're not going for logan no because ah. there's another film that was just such a powerful debut mm -hmm. that really kind of knocked me sideways and it really stands up to repeat viewings and that is the witch oh of course yes which was robert eggers's debut why and, didn't i uh, put that on my list because <laughs> <laughs> that is one of those films again one of my yeah. pin films i yeah i fucking love that that was our first episode oh of course it was yeah why didn't that make it on my list how bizarre god that's strange isn't it but just brilliant really captures that that paranoid fever of that period of time where yeah. you really believe that witches were a real thing lurking in the woods. And in this film, there is a witch lurking in the woods and she's fucking terrifying. She's a hag. She's not just a witch. Yeah. And it's not a comedy witch. She is oh, gosh, like a... really scary. Like a mash up the baby, rub it on her oh. body and... Yeah, within the first 20 minutes. What was her name? The actress. Oh, it was like a German actress, wasn't it? It was like... Baba. Kicking up bee gum, Baba Goo, Baba, Baba Goo, Baba Gum. <laughs> Batsheba Garnet. There we go. Batsheba, what a name. Oh, what Batsheba yeah. Garnet. Um, it's a great drag name, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. You know what? I'm going to change my choice. Oh, right, okay. What 2000, was... 2016, I was going to say The Handmaiden by Park Chan-wook. Oh, that's a great film. Which is a phenomenal film. But yes, The Witch absolutely <laughs> wins it for me that year. Whoa. I can't believe I didn't put it on my list. I don't know why. I did my list very quickly. <laughs> I mean, some... I didn't want to hang around because I would know I would have like a massive like yeah. court case with myself. So yeah, I was exactly. just like, boom, 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 boom. Some sites have The Witches 2015. So maybe that's why it didn't make... Well, you saw it at Sundance about a year yeah. before it came out here. And I had to go home afterwards to a dark 
empty on a dark dark night in a dark dark hotel in the middle of nowhere in the middle of a dark dark no we're not in the middle of nowhere south park south park salt lake city i was in the mountains in the middle of nowhere salt lake a city yes that's from book of mormon yeah uh yeah mine is the witch it has to be robert eggers is i find him so unbelievably inspiring because he researches yeah non-stop and and not to blow my own horn that's what I do. I, mm-hmm. I research a lot about when I go shoot someone or shoot in a particular thing, I will research a lot. I'll watch a lot of YouTube videos. I and get... yet you do no research for Torn Stod. Torn Stod so, uh... Because <laughs> Mama's got to have a day off. <laughs> Mama's got to have... Mama, because I'm too, fucking, too busy doing all the fucking research for everything else. <laughs> um, I watched the film. That's enough. Yeah. 2017. Loved Wonder Woman. Loved it, loved it, loved it. But <laughs> Call Me By Your Name was just such a such a moment film where it was just like oh i don't know there's just something about that film that is just so wistful and romantic and you know gay cinema was having such a moment in 2017 yeah we had that we had god's own country we had moonlight we had moonlight and then after that we had um fantastic woman um and yeah call me by your name was just so beautiful um, and I can't, I still can, you know, I only found out recently that the author of the book isn't even gay. And I was just like, no, what the and he's fuck? just released the sequel. He's just released the sequel, I know. Yeah. I don't want a sequel to this film. I think it's perfect as it is. I, I would be interested in the sequel when Timmy and Ollie have grown mm. 20, 30 years. Like the Before Midnight trilogy, Before Sunset, Before Sunrise. But, but they would need to ensure, I mean, they have now a book. They have now a book to base it on. So on which to base it? On which to base it? Um, but it, it is a perfect little capsule, and it was just as I mean, this is the thing that without this, we wouldn't know Timmy. Yeah. In the way that we did, he'd been in films before, but mm-hmm. not in this way. Because he was in Interstellar three years before that as a kid. As a kid, yeah. But, but yeah, he was, he's this, barely in it. Yeah. This is all Timmy all day, mm. every day. This is twenty four hour Timmy, <laughs> and I have no problem with that because he's such a brilliant talent. Yeah. If you watch him in The King this mm. year, it's all internal. Yeah. It's very much poker face mm-hmm. because he has to be. He's the king. In Call Me By Your Name, his emotions are very much, when he allows it, on his sleeve. But at times he can bottle it up and you can see the tension there. Mm. And you know, and do you know what's also quite funny? What? My choice for 2017 is Call Me By Your Name. Is it? <laughs> yes. What? <laughs> That's the only time we've ever got the same film on any sort of list. Do you think that we have that since we started doing the podcast, we've like we've morphed into the same person? We've slipped inside each other. <laughs> Slip inside the I'm gonna eye wear of your you like a host. <laughs> um, I own Call Me By Your Name on Blu-ray. Same. I, I don't own many films, but I own that. I fucking love it. It's, yeah. It is a beautiful piece of filmmaking. Mm. It is a shame that uh, Luca Guadagnino yeah or whatever how i don't know how to pronounce it. i'm probably butchering the beautiful sicilian language went on to do suspiria oh, which was on actually that was on both our worst, worst last, list, year, last yeah. year um recording by your name is is perfect 2018 now we obviously did a rundown yeah last year but it'll be interesting to see if your opinion has changed because mm. i remember what your your top film of last year was i think i do as well now okay but what's your top what's your top film now because obviously over time our our lists can change that's that's the the nature of being a film fan i think it still is love simon yeah it was yeah i just that was another moment where it was like this is a you know what is it 20th century fox you know glossy mainstream studio Studio film yeah where the lead character just happened to be a gay teenage boy yeah um, and it, you know, it had such resonance for me because I grew up watching all of these teen films and I would always identify with the women because the men, the boys were always most often than not kind of teenage idiots. Yeah. You know, Ameri- American Pie and, um, you know, she's all that. They, and they were tropes. They weren't characters. Yeah, there was, there was no, there were no gay characters yeah. in any of these films. So to have a, a lead gay character um and even you know even but though if they were gay characters then they were sort sassy of sassy girl sassy boys. weak yeah. limp limp handed yeah. like the um you ever seen that saint elmo's fire oh yeah the 
cocktail drinking, silk dressing gown wearing mm. guy that um, Demi Moore's character tries to set up with Andrew McCarthy because uh, she thinks he's gay. Right. And he's actually fucking Ali Sheedy. Huh, I don't remember that film at all. But yeah, Love, Simon, you know, it's just it was just great. And I'm so happy that teenagers nowadays get to have that film. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, it seems to be opening the the gates for other films as well. So even though we haven't had a big purple patch the way we did in 2017 with gay cinema. Purple patch? Purple patch. <laughs> Is that what you um, call it? Yeah. It's purple okay. patch. When you have like a proliferation of certain things. Oh, um, I've never heard of that. Yeah. But... Um, you know, now when I watch crappy teen films on Netflix, you know, Netflix have lots of teen films. They always now have a gay character in some shape or form, yes. um, which is great. And even if they're not the lead, at least they're in there. Are they realistic, though? For the most part, they are, actually. Yeah. Although, which was the one that I watched? Um, was it Sierra Burgess, maybe, where it's got Noah Centinini, or whatever his name is, that Italian hunk, and his co-worker is gay. And the co-worker has his crush on this guy who keeps coming in. And even though they do end up together at the end, they don't touch, they don't hug, they don't kiss, they don't do anything. So it's like completely asexual gaze. So it's one step forward and then yeah, a little bit to the right. Exactly. Okay. So my 2018 best film. Mm. Oh, is, it still, is it still what I think it is? Well, I mean, on the list last year, I put Mandy yeah. by Panos Cosmatos. And number two was Phantom Thread. Oh. And I love Phantom Thread. You've seen it more than once now. And I like Mandy. Okay. But like I said, I think I still stand. Mandy, I think, is such a brilliant, new, fresh way of presenting what is essentially an age-old biblical revenge story. Yeah. But Phantom Thread is Paul Thomas Anderson doing what he does best. This very organic, naturalistic authentic feeling mm. internalized in, yeah, yeah sort of internalized fucked up fairy tale love story <laughs> that's so a lot I, going on there <laughs> i'm really torn about which one to you, pick you know, like, if i was making a time capsule what film would i put in for 2018 are you something really fresh or or something just so solid by a brilliant filmmaker mm. I think, I think I will stick with my, mm-hmm. my choice. Well, I Man- think I'll Mandy stick is with very Mandy. much your film. But yeah, yeah, Mandy is very much my film. But also, Phantom Thread is very much my film. Mm. I think I will stick with Mandy. All right. Because Paul Thomas Anderson is doing all right. <laughs> yeah. I think Panos Cosmatos, he would need lots of exposure because his stuff is so specific. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sticking with Mandy. Mandy is fantastic. It is it's phenomenal. And I, it's Nick Cage being more Nick Cage than he's ever been before. Yeah. Crazy voodoo. Yeah. It's, he t- he's it brilliant. takes a bit too long to get where it's, where it tips into that hilariously absurdist yes. kind of thing. It takes too long to get there. But when it does, oh my God, it's great. It's worth the wait. Yeah, yeah. So now we're on to 2019. Joshua, let's quickly run down our five, four, three, two of 2019. And then we'll reveal... On number one. So All Joshua, right. your number five slot. The favourite. Mine was Jane Son and Bob Reboot. Your number four slot. Avengers Endgame. Mine was Shazam. <laughs> <laughs> and your number three. Book Smart. Mine was Tell Me Who I Am, the brilliant documentary. Watch <laughs> it on Netflix. A forgettable title. <laughs> <laughs> your number two. Vice. Mine was Joker. Your number one, Joshua. My number one for 2019 is Eighth Grade. I did not see it. I saw months and months ago and it had such a powerful effect on me. What's it um, about? It's directed by Bo Burnham, who's a stand-up comedian. He's got lots of shows on Netflix and this is his directorial debut. He he wrote it as well. Um, And it's essentially like a coming-of-age story. It's about this um, 13-year-old girl. She's about to graduate eighth grade, which means she's going to be starting high school. So she's coming to the end of that school where it's kind of the kid's school. Right. And then she's going to move up to the high school and become, you know, start to grow up a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, but she's very socially anxious. She has a lot, She has a YouTube channel where she tries to coach people um, on general life things that are going on. Um, but it's just so endearing. And 
it really takes something special to to have a character like Elsie, uh, played by Elsie Fisher, um, where it's such a specific person. She, you know, she's this very specific 13-year-old girl in America, very socially anxious, awkward, well-meaning. And yet everyone who watches the film think feels like she is them. Right. You know, everyone can so completely... It's, very, um, it's so universal in its depiction of teenhood. Yes, yeah, so empathetic. Um, what is it about teen movies that even now here you are approaching your 40s because we're recording this on your 36th birthday um what is it about teen movies that you're still connecting with your film from last year your top film was love simon Mm. a lot of your i write about teenagers you you write about teenagers a lot so what is it about those teenage years that you're not maybe not necessarily stuck there, but you are mm. making the choice to firmly root yourself there. What is it about your teenage years that you can't let go? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I'm not letting go of anything. Um, I think that the teenage years are just so potent with such strong, powerful emotion that I think follows you through life. I think that, you know... It, you know, it sums up that feeling of you're about to enter into adulthood. You don't really know. You think you know everything, but actually you know nothing. Uh-huh. Um, I think that you're always a teenager. I think that that feeling of being a teenager follows you because you're always entering into a new period of your life. You know, like your 20s, my 20s were very much about living it up and like trying to establish a career and Mm. coming into my 30s, it's like, okay, well, I kind of have a bit of a career, but am I going to be able to do that for my entire life? And, um, you know, what, what do my next 10 years look like? And then the 10 years after that, I think that teenage dumb just is so emblematic of just trying to find your way in life at a very specific period of time that is so relatable throughout your life, I think. Maybe I just overthink everything. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't really... I mean, I hated my teenage years. Mm. Hated it. So the, the, the less I think about it, the better. So I don't know if it specifically infiltrates anything that I do. Mm. I, I do wonder if a lot of gay men identify with high school films so strongly because they didn't get to have a, a kind of a traditional, typical high school experience. You know, when yeah. I was in high school, I was surrounded by straight, cis, white people who were all fucking each other, you know, having relationships that lasted six months. And I yeah. didn't have a relationship with anybody. Um, I didn't even have, you know, my first kiss probably until I was 18, 19, really. Um, and so never been, kissed. never been kissed like Drew Barrymore. <laughs> so I think that maybe that's one of the reasons I strongly identify with teenagers in films. I don't know if I would identify with real teenagers because their experience is so much different now. Yeah. But definitely that kind of high school experience, I never had it. I don't, and I think that a lot of gay people feel that way. They feel that they didn't really yeah, experience it. Yeah, I can understand it. that. Yeah. Maybe I'm not conscious of of my teenage years infiltrating and maybe it, it does, but I don't, I don't feel it does. Mm. I don't really draw from that. The, the main thing I draw from is my complete distrust of authority and my <laughs> hatred of rules, which is mm. why I always will always lean towards the absurd, the surreal. Mm. So it's probably unsurprising that my favorite film of 2019 was the favorite Ah, yeah. So the first film I saw, I yeah. saw it on New Year's Day up in Hemel Hempstead. And I saw it immediately a week later. Mm. I remember you saying you went crazy over it. I thought it was just phenomenal. Yeah. I and mean, you know, we've covered it, it in, the, in the previous episode because it was, it was number five on yours, yeah. isn't it? Um, but it is a, a phenomenal piece of filmmaking. And I think it's, if you look at Panos, uh, Panos if you look at Yorgos's work, it's the one that is the next evolutionary step. It doesn't feel like it's been forced. It doesn't feel like it's going backwards. Mm. It definitely feels like, oh, this is what he's been working towards. This is now maybe the peak. Mm. What's going to happen next? I hope it, his career doesn't start dropping. He is very much someone that could completely define his own style in the way that we say, 
oh, that's very Lynchian, that's very mm. Kubrickian. Are we now, hopefully, we're going to be saying it's very Lan- Lanthimosian. <laughs> we'll have to go with Yorgian. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to go with Yorgian. So that's yeah. it. 2010 to 2019. Whew, what in, a decade. In about 20 films. It's all about 20. 2020 is right is. around now. It's now. This is New Year's Day. This episode is going out. We're on it. And we've got some pretty cool films already slated for a 2020 release. We've got Autumn de Wilde, who is one of my favorite photographers, releasing Emma. Oh, with right, with Anna, Anna Taylor-Joy. Anna Taylor-Joy, yeah. Josh O'Connor. Looks weird. It looks Barry Lyndon-esque with a mm. bit of a lighter mm. feel to it. But it looks really funny. Okay. And I like her, Autumn de Wilde. I like the director's photographic style. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to this being a bit of a visual treat as well. Yeah. It, it looks like it's following in the favourite's footsteps of not being the yeah. traditional uh, corsets and... Co- coaches what's it corsets and <laughs> bonnets period yeah. thing powdered wig no time to die oh it's yeah the, the new bond. james bond film yeah. first american to direct a james bond film they've yeah. always been typically british or of the uh the lands that are ruled by britain the commonwealth mm. um carrie fukunaga carrie fukunaga which sounds just like hey fukunara <laughs> hey Fulcanara, you! <laughs> uh, he's clearly a very accomplished director. I just hope that he doesn't get lost mm. in the same way that Sam Mendes got lost on Spectre. Yeah. And Mark Foster got lost on The Quantum of Solace. Terrible title. Yes. Yeah. The Gentleman is coming out, or The Gentleman. Guy Ritchie returning to the gangster films that made his name. Couldn't care less. <laughs> Could not care less. <laughs> Do you know what? I, I am looking forward to this because Hugh Grant is a brilliant, brilliant character actor uh-huh. who doesn't get to play characters very often. Yeah. And he is doing a character here. Okay. He is a phenomenal actor and I don't know why he doesn't work as much as he should. Mm. And he's in this film. That is what I'm going to be watching it for. But you can care less because you're a guy, Richie Hater. Can care less. I've got two... My I could main... care less about his Aladdin films, oh, right? Oh, God, no. Or Robin Hood him. or any of that shit. Yeah. Um, he didn't do Robin Hood. He sorry, did, uh, King Arthur. Yeah, King Arthur. My two films on my radar, they're both DC films and it's Birds of Prey and Wonder Woman 1984. Birds of Prey couldn't care less about well, I Wonder Woman. I think that Woman, looks great. Yes. No, the trailer for Birds of Prey is fucking awesome. No, it just looks a bit same old, same old. But Wonder Woman 1984, yes. Patty Jenkins mm. returning for her third film. film. Third film. Third oh. film since 2003. God, come on, Patty. I love seeing her interview. She's like, oh my God. Fucking are you? Dune, Dennis Villeneuve. Yeah. If anyone Dune, can do that film, he can. If anyone can, yeah. With Timmy. With, with my Timothée Chalamet. Yes. The good old shampoo god. Denis Villeneuve made Blade Runner 2049. And I much prefer 2049 over the original. I really want to rewatch that film because it was... I watched it in the evening when I was quite sleepy and it's slow, but I remember it being so solid. And uh, not it's on what, Netflix. And not, yeah, and it didn't do what I expected to do at all, actually. No, not at all. It killed off a different person. <laughs> it's just, it, it, it was a, a bloody solid yeah. cyber noir film. And yeah. the thing with Dune, it's mainly set in the desert yeah. and then on uh, across two planets. Mm-hmm. If I remember the book... I haven't read it for about 20 years. Uh, the King's Men. Oh. The King's Men by Matthew Vaughan. Mm. I really like the first Secret Service film or Kingsman film. I don't like the second one. This one with, what's his name? From Beach Rats. Oh, Harris Dickinson. Harris Dickinson. Mm. Who is... Mm. <laughs> 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 mm. Harris Dickinson. <laughs> this looks brilliant because I like these sort of films that are set in analog era. Mm. So then they have to be very creative with the technology that they have. Yeah. It's too easy to have someone have like a wristwatch and go, beep, bop, beep, bop, beep, bop, beep, bop. Then the hologram pops up and then the floor moves. Mm. If that technology isn't available to your characters, you have to get creative. Tenet? I was just about to say Whoa. that. Christopher Nolan's first film since Who knows what Dunkirk. the fuck it's about? No one knows what it's about. No well, idea. I'm looking forward to it. No looking forward idea. to it. 
Bill and Ted face the music. Yeah, yeah, could be good. Could I mean they've been working on that script for about fifteen years. Yes. So if it's not good, what were they doing all that well, time? Keanu seems to be having a renaissance. They're calling yeah. it the Ke- Keanu Keanuissance. <laughs> I think they're calling it that. Um, That's well, going to be interesting, though, because the 80s films were so... Like, you look back and they are really sort of misogynistic. And, you know, they, they're all about the babes and save the princess. Yeah. And I wonder how they're going to bring that now into the modern day. Maybe they'll flip it like um, Mad Max did. Yeah. Right. Steven Spielberg is returning to form, apparently, with West Side Story. I couldn't give a fuck. Um, yeah. Couldn't give a fuck what that man's doing these days. Robert Eggers lighthouse the lighthouse looks phenomenal it looks like a forgotten almost silent movie era film yeah shot clearly in four by three in glorious it's had huge raves from the festivals i'm looking forward to it he's gonna survive that second film i really yeah and his his closest contemporary is one of his best friends ariaster because they're both under the a24 banner so I hope he's tips, not... Tips, give him tips. I hope he's not tarnished by the, yeah. the mad brush. Yeah. Little Women, Greta Gerwig's yeah. uh, adaptation of the of Joey Tribbiani's favourite book. <laughs> yeah. Is Beth going to be all right? <laughs> uh, Timmy's in it. So I'm there. Timmy's and in so it. And Renan. Jojo Rabbit by, what's his name? Taika Witty Witty. Taika Waititi. It's had quite divided reviews. Well, the thing is, and I kind of believe this, He's a brilliant performer. He's a brilliant writer. I don't think he's a good director. Mm. He doesn't know how to block a scene. He <laughs> doesn't know how to construct a film. Mm. He just knows how to write incredible dialogue and the heartwarming characters. Mm-hmm. If you watch Thor Ragnarok... Yeah, I didn't. Well, I wasn't a fan. Audibly brilliant. Mm-hmm. And... The, the visuals, the 80s-inspired visuals, clearly come from the Marvel creative side of thing. But actual putting the camera where it needs to be and blocking people as they talk is atrocious. <laughs> but I'll go see it, but he's not my favourite. Okay. Also, everybody's talking about Jamie, which I saw last night stage. It's a musical on, on uh, Shaftesbury Avenue. Is that coming this and year, though? It's being turned into a film. It's out in October. Oh, who's and... playing the lead? A complete unknown Max somebody. Um, but it looks great. The music the musical last night was really, really fun and it's you know it's about a kid who wants to be a drag queen. Yes. True story. Um, true based on a true, true story. story. Based on a BBC three documentary. Yes. I um, think he was interviewed on this morning with ah, uh, Phil and Holly. Oh nice. Yeah. And also don't forget Bombshell, which I've seen already and oh, is yeah. really, really, really good. Yeah. I'm I wouldn't be surprised if it got a shit ton of awards. Well, we're about so, to enter award season, so shit's silly gonna season. go mental. Yeah. So that's it. Batten down the hatches. That's that's us for another little bit. Woohoo! We will be back soon. We're gonna tear, tear some more stubs. We're gonna turn some more stu- tear some more stubs. We're gonna tear some more stubs. Right. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, and TuneIn Radio so you don't miss us when we're back. We are everywhere. We're also on Twitter at Torn Stubs Pod. Um, what was your favourite film of 2019? Let us know. And what was your favourite film of 2010 to 2019? Yeah, give us your full rundown. Let us know. We're off to work out what Tenet is ahead of its release. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut. <laughs>